0: Welcome back to The Hammer and Quill. This is Season 3, Episode 3. What is culture? We're going to define our terms and look at a short biblical theology of culture. We're so glad you've tuned in. Uh, I'm here in the studio with only one of my compatriots. Sad. One of my coworkers. The the lesser. (laughs) The (laughs) The less jolly. Michael the Lesser. (laughs) Oh, we are... It's just me and Michael here. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Hello, friendos. I like to welcome you by belittling you. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Cut the tall poppy. Yes.
0: Yeah. I don't know how tall you really are, but... (laughs) <laughs> At some point you got to stop cutting. <laughs> it's just the two of us here and it just kind of feels empty, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's been a while since we've recorded one of these and produced one. Uh that wasn't our intention and we'll give you guys some updates about why that is and what's going on mm. moving forward, but uh but first, welcome in Michael. How are things going with you?
1: They're good. Uh, this is this is the Liter like the physical season of just sickness. Um mm. so our it feels like our family has had snot and you have
0: four kids at home that are all <laughs> under the age of what?
1: They're all four and under. Four and under. Okay. So um, that
0: is an actual Petri
1: dish. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I think you're sitting too close to me right now. <laughs> We're doing fine, but yeah, they they are just they're just yeah. snotty. Yeah. They're snotty nosed kids. <laughs> all all of them have been battling uh just winter winter colds and and now I, we're about to go into the spring and we'll pick up allergies, so mm, you gotta make a trade. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten to
0: the point in my life where um you know, when I was a kid, there were certain uncles that intimidated me because they had this sort of like um resting like mean face. Mm. you know they're really nice guys, but like I just I become the the uncle with the resting mean face, particularly when I'm around young kids who are coughing uh-huh. and I just sort of glare at them. yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, you're poisoning my family right now. <laughs> so I'm afraid I become that guy uh, where kids look up at me and go, Oh, he's mean. He's,
1: he I suppose they suspicious. might be right. Yeah, <laughs> They
0: may be right, but get away from me with that cough.
1: Skepticism
0: yep, towards yep. them. Well, it kind of, it just feels wrong to mm. be here without Holly. Mm. You know, I was re-listening to our first episode of the season where we did, uh, we, we kind of cast vision. We did cast vision about what this season three is going to be all about with cultural engagement, setting forward uh, a model of cultural, a kind of a Bonhoeffer House model, uh, mm-hmm. where we were going to define terms, uh, look at problems that, uh, that we have engaging the culture in the ruins of the modern West, uh, in what some are calling a, a negative culture, meaning negative towards Christianity. Uh, we're going to look at some goals. Um, we also look back over season one and season two. And we all agreed that season one was there was something missing because we didn't have Holly. Mm-hmm. Well, we're back we're back to the missing time. The
1: the ruins
0: of the, the ruins hammer and quill of the hammering quill. The the kind of um dystopian uh formless and gray world of the studio without our our chief friendo of friendos. Yep. Holly Paulette. And that's actually why we've had such a gap between episodes. So that's right. we took an unforeseen break here for the last couple of months, uh, starting off because of the holidays, Yep, uh, which were great. Yeah, But then coming back uh, after the holidays, we want to give you guys an update on what's going on with Holly and her husband, Morgan. It's likely that you have been following along. Um, but in case you haven't, Morgan, I think it was January 5th. Morgan went into the hospital with uh, he had pneumonia that came around because of the flu, mm-hmm. really bad case of the flu. Uh, that pneumonia then went septic, mm-hmm. and very rapidly, Morgan went uh, into um, being on a ventilator, being helicoptered to our uh, our our more of our regional regional hospital. Center. Yep, in Roanoke and. Uh, And, man, it has been a crazy and scary journey these last six or seven weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Morgan really uh, was—I just just found this out on Friday. I went to visit Morgan and Holly, and uh, they mentioned that there was a span, and I can't remember how long, maybe a week or two, where Morgan was the sickest person in the hospital. Mm. And this is a regional hospital where there's a lot of sick people. Yeah. it really was touch and go for a while. Morgan is a 32 year old healthy farmer. Like, yeah. he's not like this shouldn't have happened. Yeah. So it was it was so disorienting. Very much. Yeah. Disorienting. You know, um, Walter Brueggemann in his commentaries on the Psalms talks about how the Psalms have Psalms of orientation and Psalms of disorientation mm-hmm. that are that are meant to express just how. It feels to trust in God and still be disoriented. Like, what in the world is happening? Yeah. And, uh, man, did did it feel like a disorienting, disorienting time. It was. And the Psalms of disorientation really were my closest companion. And I, I was a couple steps removed. Yeah. Um, of course, loving Morgan and Holly and caring for them. But, um, yeah, so so that has been a, a wild, wild ride. Um, you know uh one of the things throughout this time is holly has been been sort of she's you know um f- uh what is she what were what was her blog name um <laughs> farmer far, takes a wife far, farmer takes a wife and then didn't she wasn't it something like um like uh cowboy boots without mud or that something that was
1: the motto i think the like tagline yeah like cowboy boots with no
0: no mud cowboy boots with no mud is <laughs> uh farmer takes <laughs> a wife is back <laughs> It's better than ever <laughs> it's <laughs> she's back and um, she really kind of like, if you haven't been following along with her Caring Bridge updates, mm-hmm. she has uh, 30, no, how many different journal updates? There's quite a few journal updates um, almost every day, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holly has been, uh, it's a little bit less often now, but early on it was every day giving updates. And I'm telling you, I was there and still on the edge of my seat every day, mm-hmm. kind of waiting for when are, when are we going to get the update? Mm-hmm. Um, these updates have been so amazing that, uh, one day I was in the, in the, um, in the ICU with, with Morgan and Holly and one of the nurses and you, they see everything. Mm -hmm. One of the nurses in the room taking care of Morgan. She's like, oh man, I, I'm here. And I, when I go home, I read the updates Uh (laughs) because I can't wait to see like, what's Holly going to say about this day? Yeah. Um, so 77,000 visits. It's insane. On this, I don't know if that's got to be like a world record.
1: Yeah, I'm like, or are, are random bridge people just hopping over to Holly's page? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah. seventy-seven
0: thousand site visits. Seventy-seven thousand site visits. So that's um, that's a lot. Uh, people have been so generous. That we we started up a um, we started up a GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. And uh, set a twenty-five thousand dollar goal, and they have raised thirty-three, almost thirty-four thousand dollars of the twenty-five thousand dollar goal. And by the way, we're going to link to both these—the the, the, mm-hmm. the um, GoFundMe and the Caring Bridge. There's no reason not to keep raising money. I mean, the, uh-huh. um, the good news is, is that Morgan looks like he's going to be coming home soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just any number of costs associated with this, and so, uh, so yeah, please. If you're listening at home and you haven't been reading along, oh man, what a journey to go back. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could be you. Yeah. To go back and start at the beginning and follow the ups and downs. And there were ups and there were downs. Oh man, yeah. There were yes. ups and downs.
1: It's crazy, not only the not only the beauty of kind of the spiritual journal that Holly kept through the caring bridge, but but also just the the number of people who were praying and reaching out and yes. unexpected people, uh, you know, everyone, everyone from her church family to coworkers of Morgan. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, it, it just really amazing. Um, our, our kids, uh, Emily and I's kids, we, we explained to them like, uh, you know, daddy's. Daddy's friend Holly and and her husband Morgan are really uh, is he's really sick and we need to pray for them and and so they picked up the practice of singing a prayer so you know thank thank you God thank you God for our food they they took that little song prayer and they added um they added <laughs> Morgan in. <laughs> And so the first the first ever time they did it, they did thank you, Morgan. <laughs> and we were like, "Oh, hold on. <laughs> hold on. That's um that's blasphemy." But eventually it turned into this really sweet uh, mm. thank you God for our friend. Mm. Help him to get better. Help mm-hmm. him to get better. Um and so every every night for the last mm. 7 weeks, they've at dinner eagerly and excitedly said, we have to pray for Mr. Morgan. Yeah. And they've, they've sung, they've sung that song. And so it's, you know, that's, that's obviously just, just my family's story, but I feel like there are so many stories like that of thousands. Yep. Families and, and individuals and yeah, the amount of people that have
0: been praying for Morgan and following the story, it really is in the thousands all over. I was, uh, Morgan was in the sixth or seventh grade when I was teaching at his school. Um, <laughs> and so uh, this was back when I was first out of college. And um, man, it was, there were there, so many blasts from the past came into that waiting room in the hospital where mm-hmm. I'd be like, I'm pretty sure I taught you 20 years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Hi, Mr. Fury. <laughs> I did. I did. You know, um, we talked about some of the new segments we're going to introduce uh, or we're going to do this season and hopefully on into the future. One is look and see, and that's that's where we kind of stop and pay attention to something beautiful in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, my look and see was the darkest of dark days in the waiting room. And the way that God's people came around and uh, held each other and prayed and uh, even worshiped together in the darkest times was, uh, my faith will never be as weak as it, my faith has been strengthened by that. Mm. I remember you actually led worship one of the, one of my look and see, uh, times, Michael, when you, mm-hmm. did you have a guitar in the car or something?
1: I did, <laughs> but I, I was like, should I get it? Do you want me to get it? No, you didn't get it, Holly did you? he was like, no, yeah, just yeah. sing
0: yeah and just okay. <laughs> just gathering together in the waiting room and pouring out our disorientation and our and our trust and our hope with even with people who um I wouldn't have normally thought we'd get together and worship together mm. either because they're not church people or because mm. they don't like me <laughs> You know, I could say that because they're probably not listening to my podcast. And we liked each other. Yeah. You know, uh, as we just kind of joined together and and sought the face of the Lord for our brother Morgan and mm-hmm. for Holly and the family. Um. You know, one of the one of the beautiful things I just heard a few days ago from Holly was that there was a nurse in the ICU who'd been in there the ICU for 19 years, something like that. And she said that she had never seen a family as loved as them mm. in the 19 years she'd been in the ICU.
1: What, what a amazing testimony.
0: Gosh. Mm. That's right. One of the things, one of my prayers going into, you know, as we sort of, uh, the first night, uh, Don Goodman, who we had on the podcast in season one, he and I threw some of Holly's clothes in a bag and we drove up there the first night. Um, that's also a, a funny story because... <laughs> I did a really bad job getting her clothes together. Uh, she opened the bag, and she's like, you got me shorts? It's like January 5th. Like, I don't know. I just grabbed a bunch I of stuff. I just closed my eyes. I just closed my eyes, reached in. I didn't even know what was yours or Morgan's. I was like, I don't know.
1: Um,
0: so we we drove up there that first night, and... We just prayed and prayed and prayed, and one of the prayers was these doctors and nurses, we prayed first that they would love Morgan, Mm -hmm. because love notices things Mm -hmm. that excellence and and, um, brilliance can even miss, right? You can Mm -hmm. have a brilliant surgeon who just maybe is distracted Mm -hmm. or doesn't really care Mm -hmm. about the patient, but if you have a brilliant surgeon who also loves the patient and loves the family... Mm-hmm. But then they notice that you notice things, um, and and you know we've probably all been in in situations in the healthcare system where we haven't felt loved. We've kind of felt overlooked, and things get missed. And so we prayed for that. And another thing we prayed for was that um, the testimony, the witness of God's people, would be undeniable, would be convincing, would be um, attractive to. Doctors and nurses and technicians and uh, because you know when you see things you see things in the ICU that maybe if you're not a believing doctor you might go well maybe that that's evidence of God or you might just go well I've seen that happen before Mm -hmm. bodies heal themselves things like that Mm -hmm. so you can kind of explain away the science of it but it's hard to explain away the love of praying people mm. and worshiping people who are gathering around and for someone suffering like Morgan was and his family. And so I really think that happened. Mm. That's a that's my look and see. Mm. That's my look and see. And then, of, of course, another one is, Michael, you and I seeing seeing Morgan yesterday.
1: It was crazy. It was crazy. He's back. He's back. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing his kids, talking...
0: Yeah, we were we were visiting him um, as his family was coming in to visit. So we didn't stay long. We didn't want to mess with the family visit. But mm-hmm. um, being able to see his kids climb up on his bed and give him hugs, and mm-hmm. seeing Morgan moving around and talking, and just not having tubes, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just that's just such a sign of grace. Yes, sign of grace. And uh, by the time this is produced and you're listening uh he's probably going home in a week or so right they're looking at a, a less than two weeks from today i think may it be so so may it be so well that's our update and uh follow along on the caring bridge um send them money <laughs> yeah <laughs> send them kind notes yeah uh um encourage holly you know one of our uh one of our friends and authors who who is an author uh w- one one wants me to convince holly to write a spiritual memoir of this of this journey which i think she should yeah she should after she gets back to work and after she helps me you know yeah. uh, <laughs> since, uh, since she's been gone i've been making so many mistakes <laughs> i mailed checks from a checking account that we closed 18 months ago so, <laughs> i just like yeah i'll write these checks and i'll mail them off and i got a return that was like hey that checking account came back as not being a thing <laughs> and i was like mm. oh my gosh holly has our checks <laughs> but we are going to give holly a break so she may not be on the show for the rest of the season unless she feels no, like she, she wants, wants to come on yeah. and uh and set us straight so um <laughs> that's our update uh one other thing to update you guys on is we were doing an end of the year giving campaign and we close that up. Did we already update on this? I don't know if we did. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah. yeah. So um we we saw around seventy-five to eighty thousand dollars come in. So Woo! that's that's great. Yeah. That's great. And you know, our goal was a hundred. You can still get so <laughs> I was just gonna say that. Like <laughs> like our fiscal year doesn't end till September. So really, you know, this goal is an open goal. We should draw one of those things with the thermometer and it's like the raising, yeah, you know, and people can keep giving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're almost there.
0: We're almost there. Well, let's make our transition into our topic today. We're going to do just what I'll call a short or a quick biblical theology of culture. So, as we as we transition into the content, just let me kind of survey the field again of what we're going to do in this season. Uh, we're hoping to release these podcasts now every 2 to 3 weeks over the next couple of months and uh, we hope to be more regular. We're back in the swing of things. we'll 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 get Holly in here if she's able and wants to. Uh, but we what we did in the first as you know, season three, episode one, we uh, we just kind of did a survey. We looked over the whole thing. We introduced the topic
1: mm-hmm. of
0: cultural engagement. Uh, last episode, we talked about uh, a theological method, how to have a theological vision uh, in general. So it wasn't really kind of focused on culture so much as just, um, how to think theologically, how mm-hmm. to arrive at opinions uh, that are theological. Mm-hmm. And moving forward, what we're going to do is today a, a short biblical theology of culture. Uh, then we're going to move into um, looking at Leslie Newbigin, and uh, particularly looking at a vision for missionary encounters in the West. In other words, uh, thinking about being missionaries right where we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of thinking only of sending missionaries to foreign places, or even sending like you know, campus ministers to local places, just thinking about how is it that we can live as missionaries in our neighborhoods, mm-hmm. where we are, in our workplaces. Uh, the next episode after that, we're going to look at uh, faithful presence, uh, an idea that James Davison Hunter uh, puts forward in his book to Change the World. And as we do that, we're going to do a kind of survey of historical models in American evangelicalism of engaging culture. We'll look at uh, Niebuhr's um, five, five models. We'll look at Tim Keller and Center Church and his blended insights. Uh, so that'll be our fifth episode. Our sixth episode is a, is a fun guest episode with Dani Traweek, uh that we'll, we'll release right around when her book comes out. Mm-hmm she's written with uh, for University Press on singleness and uh, is going to. We, we've recorded with her on vocation generally and particularly the vocation of singleness mm. then we'll close out our time with a couple of episodes on the local church one and that's where we're going to start putting forward maybe kind of our vision for a Bonhoeffer House model or um I, you know knowing us it probably won't be a a model we're not <laughs> it'll be kind of like a just a a vibe yeah (laughs) (laughs) a bonhoeffer house vibe for engaging culture on our seventh episode we'll look at local churches as alternative communities existing in dynamic tension with the world so uh the idea there we're going to look at um the benedict option uh we'll look at that's something rod wrote about maybe eight years ago or so um some ideas of Stanley Hauerwas uh, in his book, Resident Aliens, and Larry Hurtado's book, Destroyer of the Gods, where what we'll do is is we'll actually go back in time and we'll look at how how the early church engaged culture in a pre-Christian West uh, for hints at how, and now it's not the same thing to think about a post-Christian West, uh, but it's probably, well, I'm going to say there are things we can learn there that are going to be helpful, that are that maybe we can't learn as much by looking just at the kind of Christian West or Christianized West. And then finally, we'll end our time in our eighth episode with uh, counter-catechesis, counter-liturgies. Holly made fun of me for all that in our first episode. Uh, But really what we're going to look at is, what is the church? What is its mission? What is it that we can do in a church to equip the, the saints for the work of the ministry, particularly for renewing our kind of social imaginaries, our way of looking and being in the world, our stories, our our flow in the world. And so uh, now we reserve the right to change things up. We might add a bonus <laughs> episode here or there. We might interview somebody, but that's what we've got for you. And so today we're going to look at defining terms, particularly culture, and uh, giving a kind of uh, short biblical theology of culture. Now, culture is difficult to define, but... Um, you know, we talked about this in the first episode. Sometimes culture we think of like uh getting out the the binoculars at the opera. Have mm-hmm. you ever been to an opera? I have. You've been to an opera? Yeah. How cultured
1: of you. Yeah. I'm a cultured person.
0: I have never been to an <laughs> opera. I have been to an opera house, the Sydney Opera House. Mm. So I've traveled. But nothing was there. Um something was there. It was an orchestra. It was okay. like a so that's culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes we think about more like culture as a social elite thing. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times, especially here in, in our kind of Western context, especially in our American Western context, we think of culture as a political reality. Um, we think of culture maybe in terms of competing structural powers, Mm. um, you know, it could be cultures, education, family, religion. Uh, and so, and so what, what we're going to say for this season and for the, the house vibe, is that culture is uh, includes really all those things, mm-hmm. but it's not just a kind of hodgepodge of different parts. Uh, we'll look at culture as the way people make sense of the world as they make something of the world. Mm. That's a riff on Andy Crouch in culture making, where mm-hmm. he says uh, the way, uh, I think what, what he says, the way we make sense of the world. Um, I'm including the way people do, and I'm trying to get at there's there's something communal, there's something relational, there's something... Um about a kind of shared identity within what whether it 's you know the church or family or different structures like that, yeah, so let 's look at the Bible because and the reason we 're doing this is because often we think um in terms of say the uh American evangelical expression, we often think about uh being combative to culture mm-hmm. right? there's there's maybe a sense of uh and and this is something that hunter gets at we're often Nieber's got five categories but often you can look at it as either we're we're strongly against culture we think of culture as a bad thing Mm -hmm. we equate culture with the The world world. yeah um in terms of biblical categories or we've or we've just so assimilated into culture that's the other side we're not really concerned with that one in terms of defining here although it helps And so if we think of culture as a bad thing, then then our posture is necessarily antagonistic. We're against culture. Um, But actually what we want to set out is that culture, uh, strictly speaking, uh, is a good Mm. because God created culture, right? If culture is the way people make sense of the world as they make something of the world— uh, then culture is something that God created first. So, so when I say biblical theology, really what I'm looking at is is uh, telling the Bible's story mm-hmm. through the lens of culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, in the beginning, there was culture, yeah, and it was good right so you know uh, that's my riff on in the beginning god created things and he said this is good genesis begins with a creator he's calling the cosmos into existence and every time he says let there be there's something new that contributes to the growing complexity of 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 the kind of created artifacts the goods the stuff that god is making uh, god as creator was busy connecting this Complexity of goods, right, and, and uh, connecting and separating, and even the separation is a connection, right? Day yeah. and night, these things are connected as they're separated. Sun and moon, plants and animals, water, earth, and air. Yeah, and he does this into this, and he creates this sort of good place for man to live and work and have our being. And so what I want to say is, is what God's doing is he's creating a kind of cultural reality. He's mm-hmm. placing uh, He's placing man, the first creation, into this place where there's a bunch of stuff and there's a bunch of stuff that man has to make sense of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and in the beginning, God stopped his rhythms of speaking. and instead of speaking, he, he kind of comes down into his creation. Mm-hmm. And he gets his hands dirty, right? He, in uh, the second chapter of Genesis, zooms into the creation, and we see that God, um, he, he actually makes a garden. Uh-huh. So there's something that's happening there. There's actually something happening there that we, as the listeners and readers, are supposed to, we're, there's supposed to be a, a shift in our thinking. Well, oh, wait a minute. This is a change in the rhythm. This is a, yeah. you know, the record is scratched a little bit. What's going on? He makes a garden, uh, and then and then he makes a man and he breathes into there's all this stuff happening right he breathes into the man and uh and puts him in this garden and uh then he tells him to work it and to keep it and then he has the man does do this strange thing right he has the man name the animals so what what do you michael what do you think about when you think about naming the animals uh it's hard to fathom meaning like there's just a thing and then yep. he comes up with names. Yeah. Nope. I assume he was speaking English. So <laughs> all of our English names for animals were given to us by this Adam. This is
1: the rock badger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just with no category because we've received all of these things already with with names. Mm. And it's such a it's such a big deal to like discover a new species and then the person that gets to name it it's this really it's this magnificent honor even uh and people people name new things after themselves <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. it's kind of humorous to think about but but yeah it, it i mean it isn't it is an honor it's a it's an act of uh yeah of lordship even yeah that's like, right
0: I mean I think that's exactly what one of the primary things we're meant to think about is this is a way in which. Adam is stepping into his uh, being made in the image of God, mm-hmm. being given a task by God, yeah, and to to sort of act godlike in this sense, yeah, um, in an appropriate way, right? As in a, a way, representative, yeah, yeah, as his vice regent, as his sort yeah. of representative on earth. Uh, you know, there's things conveyed here. There's authority. You know, it's not the animals naming Adam. Adam, you know, it's yeah. God. God names Adam. Adam names the animals. Uh, but one of the things is is he is he is telling a story he's making sense of things yeah. he's he's sort of God is giving him the opportunity to make meaning mm. he's saying i'm gonna I'm gonna name this animal and now this animal me this name means that animal yeah and so he's making things he's cultivating goods he's making meaning and then God makes a woman from his rib and brings her to him and this is God's way of creating a society yeah uh right um a society in the garden one that's ma- modeled after the society of god Yeah. right our triune god is uh in the words of one theologian one holy happy society mm. right there's a there's a father there's a son there's a holy spirit there there's this relational interplay within the one god mm. and so when god says let us make man in our image He created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them, right? So there's this sense in which God is made Adam as this single, solitary, solo guy, and he gives him stuff to do, and and he's already making culture Mm -hmm. in the pre-fall, perfect paradise, Mm -hmm. but it's still incomplete, and uh, he doesn't make the woman in the same way. So already God is making meaning for Adam, Mm -hmm. right? God takes, he doesn't speak, say, "Woman." Yeah, he doesn't get in the you know uh, clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I he takes the the rib right and uh, makes her, and then he invites Adam to make sense of all this. Mm. Right, he brings Eve to her, walks her down the aisle in a kind of proto wedding. Right, mm-hmm. I, I think if you go back and read Genesis two, you'll see that there's this. You know, the father is walking the daughter down the aisle and handing her to the man. And then the man is making these vows or, you know, there's, there's stuff happening there. It's not, mm. that doesn't look like the weddings that I officiate, but <laughs> it, it does look like a kind of um, proto version of that, an early mm. ver, the first version. Mm. He brings her to the mat- man and what does the man say? Do you remember Michael?
1: This at last mm. is bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. That's
0: right. And then and then someone for me. Yeah, yeah, right. So <laughs> she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Like he's even making this word play. She'll be called Isha because she's taken out of Ish. This yeah. in the Hebrew. He makes a poem. He he sings a song. I don't know what it, yeah. if there's a song or not, but there's something there's something melodic about this. There's something uh he makes meaning. Yeah. He he receives this woman and he uh, he just sort of makes sense of all this stuff that's happening. He's like, oh, at last. Yeah. You know? Uh, you know, we like to talk about how the, the Scripture isn't clear about the animals coming before Adam, but but because of the way biology works, uh, it's very likely that God created the animals in pairs, right? Because they need a male and a female to make babies, in case you're wondering at home how <laughs> how that works. Uh, and so it's likely that there, these pairs are coming before Adam. Uh, not so that Adam, Adam can figure out, like, you know, am I going to marry a giraffe? But um, but so that Adam can kind of make sense of what these animals are. He can create meaning, and then he can see th- that there's something missing. Mm. So that when when God brings his partner, he goes, at last. Yeah. Well, God speaks to the new... Husband and wife, the newly married man and woman, and gives them what was coined by 20th century Dutch theologian Klaus Schilder as the cultural mandate. He said, you know, this is a cultural mandate, which that is Genesis 128, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This mandate helps him to understand and transmit meaning. What what am I, why am I here? Right. Right, I wasn't, and now I am. What's this all for? Right, and it gives them a story they can tell f- future generations. Let me tell you about that when God told us what we're supposed to do. Right, and it gives them work to do. There's a vocation coming out of this. Right, God, God's image bearers are to make and to cultivate, to make more bearers of God's image in order to fill the earth with His glory. They're, they're to cultivate the created order, ruling over it as God's, you know, wonderful vice regents. In other words, before sin entered the world, before anything went wrong, human beings existed as God's representatives. They lived within culture, and they made culture. And all of this was to God's glory in an ordered, right way. Yeah. But as uh, um, we know in the biblical story, culture was degraded, Mm -hmm. right? So sometimes we talk about the fall of man, right, where where, uh, the the fall of our first father and mother into sin, it didn't erase the image of God, mm-hmm. but it did degrade or deface or uh, bend, bend the image of God. In the same way, culture wasn't erased. It wasn't like God was like, all right, now all culture is bad, yeah. and I'm against it. Yeah, But culture was bent, twisted, uh, degraded. So God commanded Adam, you know, eat of all the f- trees, but of the Tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, This was a command, but this was also an invitation to make meaning. This was an invitation to to uh, live within the culture and even to make more culture. To to transmit the story. Hey, by the way, this is what's going on here. Don't eat. We can eat these trees. Don't eat these trees. Um, Mm. The trees were a delight to the eyes. They were good for food. They were squarely in the midst of their garden home, right? Adam and Eve probably couldn't escape them. They might have even sat under, I'm sure. Clearly, they were sitting under their shade. Uh, maybe that's what they were doing when the, the serpent comes and, and tempts them, right? This mm. this tree, these trees situate them within a story. They, they, they invite them to make meaning, even of this question. Why did God put these trees here if we must not eat their good fruit? Mm. Why did he make their fruit look so good? Mm-hmm what is special about these two trees right so so there's there, there there's even meant to be this they're meant to figure this out that's that's making culture they're, yeah. they're meant to go all right well something's happening here they're they're meant to direct their storytelling and their meaning making towards trusting god especially when it was when it was uh, difficult so this is why i would call the 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 decision of of these two individuals to to reject god and his order a cultural failure Right, the the mm. they cut they they kind of cut the the storylines. They cut them. They said, "Hey, the the lines of meaning, these webs of meaning. I am going to cut these uh, because Genesis three five tells us they wanted to be like God. They forgot their story. Right? They forgot. You know uh, what is it that the serpent says that that uh, that's going to happen to them if they eat the fruit?
1: Yeah, he he promises you'll. God God knows. That if you eat this, you will be like him. Um, right, and more. now we've got two stories. There's two right. combating stories. Yeah, the irony, the irony of the promise to be like God when, when God has already told them, "You are like me." <laughs> you, are, you are my one image uh, that, I've, that I've made and in, in, in given uh, to the world. Um, that's exactly right. They get a competing story
0: and it makes them forget their story. It makes them forget the meaning of who they are and they forget that they're already like God. Yeah. Right. God has already made them. He's made them in his image. He's given them this task of ruling as his representative. Yeah. But God didn't scrap the project, right? Mm. He didn't even fundamentally alter the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply. As a matter of fact, we're not going to, Get into this, but the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter eleven. He comes down and he's like, "Listen, they're they're doing the opposite of what I told Adam to do, and then what I told Noah to do. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to scatter them. We're going to create language and scatter them, right? God is still making; he still wants this this culture of God fearing people, imaging him, to spread out all over. Yeah, yeah. Man is still gonna be tasked with making and cultivating goods and meaning in the context of a relational society in the created order. Right. And so Adam and Eve, they when they eat the fruit, what do they do? Hide. They hide. <laughs> and they're they they do not just hide. They make something.
1: Yeah. They make uh clothing.
0: They make underwear. They make leaf underwear. And it was pathetic, right? It's probably bad. Yeah, it's pathetic. They make they
1: make they, 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 <laughs> we make better stuff now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, the making of the leaf underwear is a cultural activity. And so is what God does yeah. when he makes them leather, Yeah, which we'll get to in a minute, right? Um, God comes and he curses their work, right? He doesn't say, no longer am I going to do this cultural project. He right. just says, hey, now your, your, your pain and childbearing is going to be multiplied. Now your harmonious society is going to be riddled with the, the desire to rule over each other. There's going to be disharmony where there was harmony. Yeah Now Adam, your work in the in the field is not going to be in this like rich edenic soil, but in the thorns and thistles of the field uh, outside of the garden. Dang it, Adam. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, <laughs> e- even in the Reading te- is the worst. <laughs> even in the terrible curse, though, there's a cultural hope, right? God gives their story a redemptive twist and invites them to make meaning when he curses the serpent. Mm. Right, When he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel in Genesis 3.15. He's inviting them to make sense of that. Right. To, to sort of figure out, all right, the story has changed, but there's still a story of God's redemption here. Yeah. Or there is a story of God's redemption now that we've fallen. And God comes back into the creation. He gets his hands dirty again, right? Just he planted a garden. He made Adam out of the... Now he comes back and he creates leather garments for them. This is like an actual cultural artifact. He's making stuff. But he also is inviting them to make meaning of this, right? This is going to provide better protection than leaves against thorns and thistles. Yeah. Um, But it's also, uh, it's also meant to be an invitation to make meaning, a new part of the story. An innocent animal sheds its blood so that God could cover the shame of his children. Yeah. Right. So the culture has been degraded, um, but it hasn't been done away with. Mm. It hasn't been done away with. And, and, And even now we live in this sort of degraded cultural time. And, uh, we still have what some what has been called common grace, right? Common grace is common, because it, not because it's low, but because it belongs to all people in all cultures and all times. Mm. It's grace because it's a gift from God, right? God has gifted all humanity, air in the lungs, blood in the body. The image of God was not lost in us. And common grace in the fallen world can be traced all the way back to this moment in the biblical story, God's response to the first betrayal when... They were warned, if you eat it, you're going to die. But they didn't die, at least not right away, right? There's a spiritual death that occurs, but God in his common grace lets them continue to live and even covers them up and even makes promises and kind of mm. weaves in a new story of his work and their life, right? So when he, when he banishes them um, from Eden, he still gives them work to do, right? Go, go and work the ground. So they didn't really—they de- didn't deserve to be saved from the terrible prospect of death or even of eternal slavery to sin, right? So even in the even in the banishment, uh, do you remember what God, God has a kind of another counsel within Himself, mm-hmm. and why does why does He banish them from Eden?
1: So that they don't take and eat of the tree of life and and live forever in a in a incomplete immature degraded state yeah yeah
0: the only thing worse than death is to live forever separated from god the yeah. only thing worth, worse than than death with the hope that one day maybe we'd be resurrected is the the idea of being locked in yeah i'm locked in as an enemy of god mm. this is common grace this is common grace and we still live in a world of common grace, right? We still live in, as a matter of fact, the story progresses in Genesis where you have this kind of, these two different family lines, the line of Seth and the line of Cain. Mm-hmm. And if you go and read Genesis 4, you'll see that there's all these kind of, they, have diff, they share names. It's meant to be a parallel, like mm-hmm. the bad guys, the baddies and the goodies. <laughs> um, but even in the baddies, even in the bad guys, the line of Cain, you have these, um uh, skilled city builders, shepherds, musicians. Black, you know this guy who's the father of all musicians, and it's like, yeah, music's good. Yeah, and we got that from Cain. Yeah, Cain was a bad guy, so all this. Com- this is common grace that even even bad people can make good cultural artifacts. Mm. Even bad people can make good contributions to culture, mm. um, and of course, we're all bad you know in in terms of compared to God's goodness and so um grace it turns out like rain falls on the just and the unjust mm. alike so that's cultural de- degraded cultural re- culture restored okay so um there's this beautiful uh verse in Isaiah 60 verse 3 nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising and and there's a sense in which God takes Israel and says you're now my cultural project mm. to show the nations what my order looks like what my goodness and truth and beauty look like now they never quite succeed mm-hmm. nor do we in our local churches but but that's the idea right is god's going hey i haven't given up on this cultural project of bringing the kingdom yeah. uh, into your vision yeah and uh you know god's people were always meant to be a culture within a culture god shows them though they were small in number to represent the, his kingdom to the surrounding kingdoms. He gave them, you know, the the 613 laws in the Old Testament are are not just, you know, God being like a grumpy dad who's like <laughs> no 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 no. It's it's really yeah. meant to set them apart as as a distinctively good society
1: and to help them make sense of the world. Here, here's what here's what's good. Here's how you ought to live. Uh in and in otherwise what would have been like um what do we do with <laughs> this guy Stole this guy's stuff. What do we do what about do we do? that? Yeah, just uncertainty. Yep. God gives yep. clarity and order. And Israel's got
0: a rough history, right? If you read the Old Testament, you kind of see there's there's ups and there's downs. There's exile. There's there's gathering together. There's remnants. There's there's the story. It's just a really wild story. Yeah. And all throughout it, you can see that God cares about creating a culture within the culture, creating a a kingdom culture that displays. The kingdom, and that that one day would be ruled by a good king. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's pictures within the scriptures of like Jeremiah, even when they're in exile, they're meant to be, uh, they're meant to work for the good of the people around them. They're meant to, to to marry and have babies and work the ground and 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 be part, be kind of within the culture as a sign to the culture. Mm-hmm. You also see pictures in the Old Testament of people like Daniel, who. Um, in exile, excelled, mm-hmm. and he excelled in him and him and his his Hebrew buddies. Yep, uh, they excelled even while they remained faithful. Right, they they wouldn't bow down to idols. They were they were honoring the Torah. They were honoring Yahweh, and yet somehow he became he excelled in his class at Hogwarts <laughs> School of <laughs> Wizarding. Wizards, uh. what is I've never read it. What is it called? The Hogwarts School of Wizards. Yeah, witchcraft and wizardry. Right, and we we we're, we're, we're joking <laughs> because uh Daniel is is excelling in this school that is for like you know, reading the stars and things where we might go wait a minute. And he's, you know, there's there's some way in which he's able to do that without dishonoring Yahweh. He's going, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to be head of my class. Yeah. But I'm not going to bow my knee to another god." Yeah. And we see this throughout the story, right? That God's promises were not these sort of culture less promises that just go to individuals. He's he's promising that cultures will be redeemed, that peoples will be redeemed. Yeah. He's making he and then and then a lot of these promises wrap in cultural realities. Yes. Like, yep. like Isaiah twenty five, one of my favorite passages in the Bible where we get this picture of a feast. Dude. one day there's going to be a feast with rich wine and fat, like, like when I smoke a pork shoulder, and I'm looking at my smoker right now, longingly, <laughs> you'd be a lot better if there was some pork in there. Um, <laughs> Smoking you know, thank, away. Thank God for the new covenant that we can <laughs> smoke the pork. Uh, but you put the, you, you kind of, you, I like to leave a little bit of fat on there. Yeah, and like just let it kind of run down, run down into that meat, man, fatty meat. Feasts aren't going to cease to exist in the restored culture, right? Yeah, but they'll be celebrated with gladness and shared memories. Uh, I like to talk about, um, you know, God isn't going to burn up the swords. Yeah, what's he going to do, Michael?
1: Turn them into plowshares. Yeah, he's going to hammer them. We're going to have. We're still going to have tools. We're still going to have tools. We're going to have have, like a really cool plow made out of a sword. They won't be for violence. They'll mm. be for uh, cultivation.
0: That's right. That's right. And these promises are spoken over and over again in the Old Testament, in this
1: promise of a restored culture. And even even the even some of the promises in the prophets of what will happen with animals. <laughs> that like not only is is the violence going to end because our swords will be beaten into plowshares and we'll we'll cultivate. Rather than uh, divide, um, but but even snakes and babies. <laughs> that's right, snakes and babies. <laughs> we'll
0: play together and leopards and lions and lambs. Yep, that's right. Yep, and into the into the midst of a a, a very unique cultural reality in the first century century in um into this Jewish culture he took on flesh. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we think about the incarnation because he, carne meaning flesh or body, he, he took on a body, he became man. Yeah, But he also was encultured, right? He came into the culture that he created, not only to restore our relationship with God, but to restore the possibilities of a culture that displays the kingdom of God on earth, right? He gathered, even the things that he did were kind of cultural signs. Yeah. Why 12 disciples? Twelve tribes of Israel, right? Right. He lived among them. He embodied the culture of the kingdom. Right. There's this sense in which he's bringing this picture with him, of a cultural reality of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And his his name is a is a name that is it tells a story, right? Jesus, yep. a combination of Yahweh and saves. It's an invitation to make meaning. Uh, this child is going to be the one that receives the throne of David. His reign will be unending. He fulfilled the promise by fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law and the kingdom, dying to bear the shame and punishment due to his enemies. He rose and was victorious over death in the bent kingdom of the serpent. And before he ascended to heaven, he commissioned his followers, right? And he's, he's basically hearkening back to Genesis 1, to the cultural mandate. And he says, listen, now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit— and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mm. This is a hint back, a, a sort of um, callback to the cultural mandate. Mm-hmm. Go and make image bearers. Fill the earth with the glory of God. Make a new culture. inviting Invite others into the story of God. Make, uh, kind of live within the webs of meaning of God's story, right? Instead of just crushing the culture yeah. or, or just... Kind of unthinkingly accepting it, yeah. There's going to be this, um, this kind of new order for how to live within the culture. Yeah, the culture still it's, it can be restored. Uh, in fact, in fact, a few of his followers quit their jobs. Yeah, right. So when we get around to talking about missionary encounters there there were few that became full-time missionaries most of the spread of the gospel in the first 100 years of the of the church was through people who just talked about Jesus and invited mm-hmm. people to church and uh they they were in the marketplace because that's where they worked or that's where they went to buy their stuff yeah you know centurions remained centurions tent tent makers tent makers families stayed in their families but their life gained a new focus and
1: meaning within the culture yeah and not only that but he but Jesus himself Took up cultural artifacts as as illustrations for who he was, mm-hmm. and uh, and how he could teach about the kingdom. So, uh, yeah, I, I am the bread of life. Like yeah. he's he's taking this cultural artifact and and using it to to reveal the truth about who he is. I I am the light of the world. I'm I am the living water. Uh, on and on. Um, he's he's not avoiding uh, he's not being a cultural or, yeah. or
0: necessarily he is being counter cultural and even contra, you know, against yeah. the culture. But um, but sometimes he's just accepting cultural goods. He's saying, yep. hey, I'm not only this is a good thing, I'm gonna use it as a story. I'm gonna I'm gonna elevate it in my story to say, be like this, yeah. do this kind of thing. Yep. That's right. It's complex. It's not just either destroy it and oppose it or accept it unthinkingly. Yep. Finally, in the story of the Bible, the kind of cultural theology or the- biblical theology of culture, we come to culture consummated. Mm. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, in in his um, Narnia series there's this beautiful end where uh it says I've come home at last this is my real country mm. this is the land i've been looking for all my life though i never knew it till now mm. come further up come further in and this is the story mm. of you know n- not just that the the church is sort of the 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 first echoes mm. right but his followers quickly learn that even even redeemed culture had its problems mm-hmm. generosity was not shared by all you know you've got this crazy thing where it's like they're holding back stuff and they're dropping dead. Yeah. Uh, Old racial and cultural prejudices sometimes remain, you know, with the, with the, the Hellenite and the Hebrew widows who were being served at different times. And in Acts chapter six, missionary friends argued and split ways, Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, the painful realities that the kingdom was inaugurated by Jesus and and in Jesus still awaits its consummation. Mm. But the sinner can hold because the sinner is Christ. Mm. So the putting back together of all things at the consummation won't be a total destruction. It's not just like fire comes and then we float around, right? Right. You know, in the wispy clouds with winged cherubim babies <laughs> yeah. str- strumming their harps yeah. <laughs> as we just, I don't know, float. Um, no, we're, we, we, we lost a garden, but we're going to gain a garden city. Yeah. Right, in Revelation 21, 10 through 12, says, And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. In other words, this city is going to look like and unlike the great cities of our earthly cultures. Yeah. There's going to be walls and gates and roads and artworks and a river running through a great park with a tree that's on both sides of it that comes together over top of it. Yeah kind of like the best of our cities here. There's yeah. going to be, you know, but it's going to be so radiant with God's glory. We're not going to need street lights or the moon or the sun. God's going to be so present that we're not going to need a temple or a church. And these these uh gates, there's going to be gates, but they're never going to close because there's no danger or darkness. And instead of
1: I'm not sure how you would close a pearl. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: well, it's it's probably a pearl gate, right? <laughs> yeah. You just yeah instead of marauders <laughs> we're going to have nations and rulers yeah. pouring in with their gifts and their glory bringing to bring their, their best god. yeah yep.
1: bringing their best
0: yep and and the and the, it moves from the garden to the city and it also moves from the tree of life lost to the tree of life gained right you could do a whole bible study on the loss of the tree of life and then life and death throughout the scriptures yeah and death being the ultimate enemy of god and then finally the tree of life regained right mm. uh in, in Revelation 22, the, the the leaves of this tree are going to be for the healing of the nations. There's going to, by the way, there's going to be time in the new creation. I don't know exactly how it works, but we do see in Revelation 22 that there's going to be months. Uh, we're going to see that the nations are healed. They're not just destroyed or sort mm. of everybody turns into like one type of person. They're going to be. They're going to still have their their languages, and somehow it's all going to work together. We'll live and worship together in rich harmony. Revelation 7 talks about how this mm. great multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language is going to be before the Lamb, and and, and we assume they're going to be singing out, salvation belongs to our Lord, to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're going to be singing that out in their languages, because mm-hmm. that's the picture there. They, they'll have their own languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all going to... You know, contribute to the unique, uniqueness of the song of praise. We're gonna have stuff to do, fields to play in, and so, uh, so what do we do? So that's kind of the storyline. That's our overview. I said it was gonna be quick. It's it's quick compared to what it could be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yes. so, really, for the next, you know, five or six episodes, we're gonna look at how do we engage. What are some different ways to engage culture? um, because culture, we, we don't want to just simply reject it. We don't want to simply receive it. Although I I think that those are helpful categories, right? One takeaway from today is, you know, on the ground, what do you do with a TV show? What do you do with music? What do you do Mm. with clothes? What do you do? You know, these clothes might've been made by, you know, slave factory in China. What do you do with these sorts of things? And I do think that there are, it's okay to, to think about this most of the time in terms of three categories. And I heard someone say this somewhere. I'm not making this up. I'm borrowing uh, that we that there's some cultural artifacts and and realities that we reject. We just say no. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a line in which all Christians should say no, mm-hmm. right? Like um, eugenics. Mm-hmm. There, it's not like that's not a matter of conscience. Yeah. Um, you know, certain expressions of racism. Just no. You know, slavery. Yeah. You know, there's certain things. Multiple wives or husbands. No. Uh, Those are sort of cultural artifacts or, or, uh, realities that it's just, we just reject. Yeah. Then there's some that we just receive, Mm. right? Um, maybe like time, the calendar, that's a, that's a cultural artifact, you know, right now is February. It doesn't have to be, Mm -hmm. (laughs) could be (laughs) March, you know, could be, could be some word we've never heard of. Yeah. You know, there's certain things that we maybe just say, yeah, that's, that's a cultural good. We don't have to really overthink this. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, gardening or, so. you know, there's certain things we just, yeah, well, this is a cultural good. I'm just going to eat this food. Yeah. A, food is good. It's a gift of God. And then there's some things that we, re, we look to redeem. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and we might say, uh, and redeem could mean, you know, it could mean like, um, I'm going to redeem my use of Twitter. Like I can't get on Twitter and redeem Twitter. Mm. But I might no, be able you to re- can't. no I can't I can't <laughs> and frankly Twitter is 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 in and, and all social media really is going more in the category of reject for me personally uh-huh. I, um, but if I'm going to try to redeem my use of Twitter it, it means I need to be thoughtful about this. I need uh-huh. to think about who am I going to follow and not follow if these people that I follow make me angry all the time, uh, then maybe I need to mute them mm-hmm. and that's that's a way of redeeming you know in quotes it's not it's not as though I need to try to convince Elon Musk to. Change the algorithms or something. <laughs> um, it means that I need to think about how my how's this kind of coming at me. How am I using this tool? How am I living within this sort of cultural reality? This mm. uh, embodied people group, my families, my church. These are these are things that we can redeem to a certain extent. All right. So that's our short
1: biblical theology of culture. Anything you want to add before we close our time, Michael? Um. Just i think it's really compelling the picture in revelation twenty one uh of culture consummated and, and mm. particularly it's the the unique little piece of how there's all these wonderful amazing artifacts uh gates and walls and and streets and um and there're all these different jewels and uh and there's they're all made of these wonderful things and uh and then and then there's the note that they're all clear that they're all see through mm. um and so i think I think it's I think it's a a helpful image for us as we think about culture and cultural artifacts that they're in they're in the end things that we're meant to be able to see the glory of God through them um amen and so it could that that could be a helpful uh diagnostic. Picture for us mm. um, as we as we get into some of the application that we're going to get into. Am I able to see God's character, God's glory through this thing, um, or am I stopping at it, or is it just? Something I, I ought to have rejected because right. it's it doesn't throw me off. It doesn't have the glory of God. It's throw, this thing isn't see through
0: at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, as we close our time, I want to read a quote from James Smith. Jamie Smith, in his book Awaiting the King, describes the posture mm. of Christians living within the culture. And that's a posture of uplift tethered by hope to a coming king. Mm. May we have that kind of posture as we look ahead to engaging culture as we look around at the culture that we've been put in, that we would have a, a posture of uplift tethered by hope to a coming King. Thanks for joining us here on season three, episode three, a short biblical theology of culture. We are defining terms and now we're going to be looking ahead. So we hope you join us next time on missionary encounters, looking at Leslie Newbigin and how to exegete a culture and what does gospel witness look like mm. in, in the West. Uh, Please do subscribe, Uh, give us some reviews, some five-star reviews. Send us any questions or comments to info at BonhoefferHouse.com. Until next time, peace. peace.